0: I am Danika and I am Myra and this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness, a space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here,
1: we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing
0: while also giving you the work along the way.
1: Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast y'all it's official we are an amazon affiliate and it's only right because our let's Hill book is offered on amazon if you haven't already checked it out go ahead and click the link in our description and check it out help us support you while we support us while we all support each other if you know what i'm saying all right y'all check it out hey y'all we are back with another episode of black women healing podcast and as discussed we're going to really get into um, health it, health concerns and our medical journeys, especially as Black women in the Black community. And so here we are with another episode. And today we're going to continue the episode about HIV. Um, and we have a special guest, Dr. Michelle. And so we really want to make sure we get, we're we getting people in here who are doing the research and are have their hands in the community. But before we get started introducing her, we're going to start off with a random topic. So randomly. Um Let me think. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm trying to think what is what's going on right now. That's a good topic.
0: I'm curious what you've been snacking on since you said you cut out sugar, because when you <laughs> say you cut out sugar earlier, I instantly wanted a honey bun. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting a honey bun. I yeah, haven't. I really want a honey bun. So I'm curious what you've been snacking on. What's been your favorite snack? Uh,
1: um, I guess I really haven't been snacking a lot. I'm a, like a really big, like like sunflower seeds and chips and all that junk food stuff. But I haven't. Um, I found like, these new, or not new, it's new for me. They're like these little Italian um, shaved ice type of little cups like frozen cups I love those Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be like you know not as bad and so um I really prefer ice cream but I'll take that and so (laughs) I've been um yeah I guess I've been snacking on those so Mm -hmm. yeah but honey bun sounds
0: good (laughs) Mm -hmm. have you had the red Italian ice red yeah they have a red one a blue one no the one I got
1: it's just from the local Ralphs and it is uh, yellow, uh, <laughs> lemon and strawberry. Those are the flavors. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are really good. Mm. I don't
1: even really like lemon like that, but it is, you know, it's pretty good. So I, I won't complain. Uh, what about you? I mean, <laughs> do you smell <laughs> uh, Dr. Michelle Myra's pregnant? Um, <laughs> do you do you snack a lot?
0: Congratulations. Thank you. Um I'm not a snacking person, but I like to, have, I don't know what it is about being pregnant. I like to eat stuff, but I don't know that it's snacking, but I just be eating. Um, but one thing I find my hand in is a bag of trail mix, especially the ones with the M&Ms. But I figured out that Rouse is the only one that has like a generic brand where they put enough M&M ratios to the nuts. Because most places they just sprinkle a little few M&Ms in there, That this one's good. So <laughs> the fact that you know that, that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Because I love trail mix, but I feel like people don't do a good ratio, but this one is really good.
1: So trail mix, you'll just kind of snack on that
0: mm-hmm. all day. What about you, Dr.
2: Michelle? Uh, I like dried fruits. So, you know, I'm trying to cut down uh, artificial sugars as well, uh, but I I love me some, like, organic apple, dried apples and mangoes and stuff like that, um, and... Uh I got this one snack that I liked from uh the South Beach Diet cookbook. I don't like much from there honestly, but there's this one where you take ricotta cheese and a little bit of almond extract and some sliced almonds and mix them up and that's a nice nice healthy snack. I like that a lot. Watery. Mm.
1: I know, I'm over here like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds delicious. Um but okay, so as y'all can see we got our little snacks going on. Before I introduce <laughs> you, Doctor Michelle, uh, how do you pronounce your last name?
2: Uh, it's Andrasic, rhymes with Jurassic, so Andrasic.
1: Okay, okay. Um, so uh, today, you all, we have a special guest, Doctor Mich- Doctor Michelle Andrasic. Um, Pronoun she, her hers is she is a clinical health psychologist working to build and enhance partnerships with marginalized communities and clinical research with the focus on going on ongoing vaccine vaccine trials for HIV and COVID-19. She is the director of social behavioral sciences and community engagement for the Fred Hutchinson-based HIV vaccine trials network, acronym HBTN, and the COVID-19 Prevention Network senior staff scientist in the Fred Hutchinson Vaccine and Infectious Disease Division, and an affiliate clinical professor in the Departments of Global Health and Occupational and Environmental Medicine at the University of Washington. Dr. Andrasik received her PhD in clinical health psychology from the University of Miami. She also has master's degrees in health education and psychological counseling from Columbia University. Dr. Andrasic brings expertise in implicit biases and historical trauma and the utilization of community-based participatory research approaches and qualitative research methods. Dr. Michelle, oh my goodness, you are out here really, I didn't even know all this y'all, I'm sorry, I'm reading this myself and I'm just even more amazed because I actually found you I was just doing like Google searches on who's out here doing the research with black women HIV and I had found one of your research articles and that is how I found you so now reading this I'm like (laughs) oh my goodness well
2: I'm glad you found me and invited (laughs) me in it's good to be here
1: Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like we could talk about so much, but today we just wanna focus on you know, HIV. Uh, so go ahead and get started. Uh, oftentimes folks get HIV and AIDS confused. Um, so if you could break down the difference between the two, that would be great.
2: Yeah, sure. So HIV or human immunodeficiency virus is a virus. And there are three stages of HIV. Um, first off, you know, it weakens a person's immune system by destroying important cells um, that we use to fight infection and disease. But what we know to be true is that HIV is now a chronic illness because with the proper medical care, HIV can be controlled. And people with HIV who get effective HIV treatment can live long healthy lives and protect their partners. So the, the three stages of HIV, the first stage is called acute HIV infection. And this is like during the first two to four weeks after infection where the person who um, has uh, been exposed to HIV has large amounts of HIV in their blood. So this period of time makes it more likely for them to transmit the virus to others. And during this time, some people can have flu-like symptoms and some people don't get sick at all. Acute infection is then followed by stage two or chronic HIV infection. This is also called asymptomatic HIV or clinical latency because HIV is still active in our body. And it's reproducing all the time at low levels, but generally during this sta- second stage, people don't get sick, they don't have any symptoms, but without taking medication, you know, uh, this period could last a decade or longer. Uh, But some people will have a faster progression to HIV. And I think what's really critical is during this phase where people are largely asymptomatic, you know, that lasts for 10 or more years, people can still transmit HIV to other people. Now, at the end of this phase, what happens is the amount of HIV in the blood or your viral load goes up and your CD4 count, which are cells in your immune system, go down and the person moves into stage three. Now, people who take HIV medication um, as prescribed may never move into phase three. And phase three is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome or AIDS, and this is the most severe of the HIV infection stages. So again, if HIV is not treated, it can lead to AIDS. And basically what that means is that people have such badly damaged immune systems because of HIV virus that they can get an increasing number of severe illnesses or what we call opportunistic infections. So, people receive an AIDS diagnosis when their CD4 cell count drops below 200 cells or if they develop certain opportunistic infections. And basically, you know, our immune system is always sort of fighting, um, you know, pathogens. And when the immune system gets really weak, as as what happens with AIDS, uh, we're not able to fight off those opportunistic infections, um, and people with AIDS can have really high viral loads, and therefore uh, are much likely to transmit HIV to others. And you know, I think it's important to note that without treatment, people with AIDS typically survive about three years. But again, over the last forty years, we've come a long t- a long way with treatments and people can live a long and healthy life with HIV and never progress to AIDS. uh, And that's why HIV is just another chronic illness like diabetes and hypertension. And uh, several new studies have shown that if a person living with HIV is taking their medication and they've been virally suppressed. That means when you um, take blood from them, you can't detect any blood or any virus in their blood. They can't transmit HIV to their sexual partner. So I think that that's really, really an important point too.
0: Wow, thank you for breaking that down in a way that's easy to understand because I feel like most people don't really understand. So thank you for breaking that down. I'm curious, what are some early signs of HIV and what types of predisposers would you recommend paying attention to? Yeah,
2: well, I think what's really critical for us to um, consider is that really the only way to know for sure whether you have HIV is to get tested. You know, knowing your status is huge because it helps you make healthy decisions for yourself. And um, prevent you from transmitting it to people um, that you love. And so, you know, as I was saying before, in acute HIV infection, that sort of two to four uh, weeks after a person um, is, uh, comes in contact with HIV and HIV is now in their system, uh, they can have symptoms but you might not necessarily have symptoms. You know, and if you do have symptoms, you will have flu-like symptoms. So fever, chills, night sweats, rashes, muscle aches, sore throat, fatigue, maybe swollen lymph nodes, mouth ulcers. But the important thing to note about these symptoms is that these symptoms don't mean that you have HIV. You know, other illnesses, can have these same symptoms. So if you know, if I was living in my perfect world, everyone when they went to the doctor to get their blood drawn to test your um, heartbeat to look at your pulse would get an HIV test as well because we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, I've been working on pandemics my entire life. The first one being HIV, which we're still in, and now with COVID. And the only way to really uh, combat that is to ensure that people know their status and that they're not transmitting to other people. And symptoms are not a good way to uh, know if you are have been exposed to HIV or not because most people will have no symptoms.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no. Um, I think that that is very uh, helpful information. Um, I'm also thinking about, um, sorry, I'm having a break for it. Um, So I'll come back. It'll come back to me. It's not coming back right now, but it'll
0: come back. I'm sure it'll come back eventually. Um, I want to continue and just ask you, you know, we cater to Black women in this podcast and ask, why are there disparities in Black women being infected with HIV versus non-Black
2: women? Yeah, well, let me, let me, can I first answer that question by talking about what those disparities are? So we really mm. know the impact of HIV on black women, and then I'll try to break it down uh, in terms of why we are at, are at greater risk and why we see these like disproportionate numbers. So the most recent data we have in the United States is from the year 2018. And if you look at 2018, there were 1,173,900 people in the United States living with HIV. And of those, 261,800 were women. In that same year, there were 37,968 new HIV diagnoses in the United States independent areas. Of those 19% or 7,190 were women. 42% of those women who tested HIV positive in 2018 were black women. So over 16,000 black women tested positive the last time we have data available to this. 85% of those new cases in women were the result of heterosexual contact, and 15% were the result of infectious drug use, and then 1% uh, is, is unknown or, or, or um, other. They're not really sure. So, and I think what's really critical to note is that for every 100 people that are living with HIV, about 86. 86 of them don't know their status, you know, and for every 100 women, about 90 um, know their status. So, you know, there are a lot of people who are living with HIV who do not know their status. And what we know to be true about HIV is that you're much more likely to transmit HIV to other people if you don't know your status. And there are more people of color living with HIV who don't know their status. So that puts us at risk for transmitting. Um, That's one thing. The other thing is that people of color because of um, centuries long housing and economic discrimination, find ourselves more disproportionately in situations where there are high poverty rates, um, unemployment is an issue, Lack of insurance is an issue, and one of the things that Gregorio Millett, who was um, the first person to run the U.S. HIV strategy uh, under the Obama administration, when Obama finally made a U.S. strategy, pointed out that if you look at the counties in the United States that are disproportionately African-American. So they have the highest rates of African-Americans in the United States. There are about 667 of these counties that are largely African-American. Ninety one percent of those counties are in the southern U.S. uh, And they are marked by high rates of poverty, high rates of unemployment, high rates of uh, Lack of insurance, and what goes hand in hand with that is also high rates of sexually transmitted infections: gonorrhea, syphilis, and um, and uh, chlamydia. And so, when you have another sexually transmitted uh, infection, uh, you know basically this could create sort of sores or breaks in the skin that allow HIV to more easily enter your body. And so when you have those high rates of underlying sexually transmitted infections, it it sort of sets a perfect playing ground for HIV. And so why do we have these high rates of sexually transmitted infections? In our communities. Well, if you look at, you know, the again the centuries long um, historical social and structural factors that differentially put us at risk that decrease our likelihood to develop relationships with medical providers because of the way we're treated with medical providers, because of poor patient provider relationships, because uh, institutions have not made themselves trustworthy for people in our community, there's all that. And then there's also the reality that most people, regardless of your race, are more likely to have sex with or partner with someone who shares their race. That's not true all the time, but most of the time. And for black people, we are more likely than any other race to partner and have sex with someone in our community. So let's look at a place like Seattle, which is where I am. We make up, black people make up 6% of the population. So as a heterosexual black woman, if I'm going to date a heterosexual black man in my community, I have 3% of the population to choose from. If I am a homosexual black male, I've got 1% of the population to choose from. So our sexual networks are small. We're a minority, we tend to date within our communities, our sexual networks are small. So if a disease gets into our sexual network because of its small, um, you know, compact situation. Uh, if someone doesn't know their status and brings it into our sexual network, uh, it goes quicker through the sexual network. If someone isn't getting tested and delaying treatment and, and um, progressing towards HIV or towards AIDS and then their viral load goes up, that comes into our network uh, if someone is uh, knows they're living with HIV but isn't virally suppressed because they don't have access to their treatment, they don't have a good relationship with their provider. Um, they've got other things going on that prevent them from taking their medication. All of this impacts the viral load in our community. And as the viral load goes up, you know, with each subsequent partner, Um, you know, your risk of HIV goes up. And and I think it's really critical to note that black women aren't engaging in any more riskier behaviors than their white female counterparts. You know, you could look at, you know, uh, Becky here at the UW um, campus, she could be having the same sexual behaviors or maybe even having more partners than her black counterpart. And she is at much lower risk because her sexual network is bigger, a lot bigger. Um, and the viral load in her sexual network may not be as high because the rates in her community are not that high. You know, you look at these numbers of Black people who are um, testing positive each year, and the number of people in our communities living uh, with HIV and people who don't know their status. Because of stigma, because of all this that I just mentioned before, just increases viral load. Um, And I think that that's really critical. It's not what people do that put them at risk. It's the situation and the circumstances in which they're doing it that really creates the risk for people.
1: Oh, my goodness, the way you just broke that down. Like, it makes so much sense, right? Not even just for about HIV, but like all STIs and STDs in general. Like, it makes so much sense. I've never heard it explained in that way. Like, that's
2: wild. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Um, and we see the same thing for COVID. It's not just HIV. The reason we're at greater risk for COVID is the same things because of where we work. Because of how we, you know, where we live in high density settings, we have to show up for work. We can't work from home more than any other groups. I mean, if you look at any infectious disease that's disproportionately impacting us, it's not because of our behaviors, it's because of the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. So it goes, it's not just sexually transmitted infections unfortunately, and that's why I think we got to change. We got we to flip the script and change things if we want you know, these uh, disparities to end and not continue to persist as they have for many decades.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I most definitely am hearing that. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's what some of, some of your research is probably you know, trying to figure out and explore right now. Um, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. most definitely, I'm interested in, in that information. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I am kind of went off a tangent, but I'm just thinking of like, does that mean that, you know, Black folks should explore outside more than, like, you know, it's like, does that mean we should be more around other, other ethnicities, other, other races? Uh, like, do we, like, what, like, how do you even... I'm just trying to unpack it. Like, what do you even do in this type of situation, you know?
2: Yeah, well, I think we protect ourselves, you know? You make sure that, you know, you uh, know what your partner is doing, that both of you are, you know, getting tested for HIV, that you're practicing safe sex, if you are monogamous, you know, agreeing that both of you are monogamous. If you're not monogamous, like talking about what that means and how you're going to protect your relationship from bringing things into the relationship that you, you don't want, you know, including um, sexually transmitted infections. I mean, it really is about um, you know being open and honest about our sexuality, something that we're not really, you know, taught to do uh, for the most part, I definitely don't think it means like, you know, you know, I definitely don't want it to come across as, oh, we got to go outside of our race, because there are many people who are Black who are, Um, living with HIV and undetectable and therefore unable to transmit to others. There are many Black people who are not living with HIV. And there are many people who are, you know, very cognizant of wanting to protect themselves and their partners. Um, You know, that is, we share that, you know, along with other, other races. So I definitely think, that our small sexual networks place us at greater risk, but our small sexual networks also create opportunities for love and strength across our communities.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Communication, talking about this stuff, knowing your status, being open and honest, I'm hearing all of that. Um, So, I mean, As you know, this is a mental wellness podcast. And so you're doing so much work. You're researching. Uh, I mean, you're like, you're, and you have your hands, it sounds like, in a lot of different things. Like, how do you take care of yourself, especially during overwhelming times, or even with research, I'm sure it can be defeating, like finding out these numbers and stuff like that. How do you take care of yourself?
2: Uh, Well, I, I like to walk um and walk in the woods for (laughs) in the forest you can see my background I like being out in nature uh so I make sure every morning regardless of whether it's raining or not and it rains here every day now (laughs) that I go out for a walk and I go you know I got my rain gear and I've got my either my music on or I'm listening to A podcast that makes me feel good and that you know is is adding to my joy so you know three miles a day I go out and just walk um I also enjoy I have two young daughters so I enjoy spending time with them and playing games I I love board games so we play a lot of Uh, board games and um, you know just making sure that you have your family connection you know I have a sister who I'm very close with she lives on the other side of the country so I don't see her that much but we check in every day and you know can share make sure I share the good the bad and the ugly with everyone in my life you know who's close to me to get it out so that I'm not keeping it in and like sitting on it and stewing on it you know, because I think that that can create a lot of, um, you know, mental health uh, challenges for all of us when we keep this stuff inside. We don't, you know, we don't let it out and share it with people who can help us work through it.
0: Yeah, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, we ask all of our guests, some takeaways you might have for our listeners, and that can be literally anything that you want to have for them as a takeaway
2: yeah well you know we as black women are you know the the backbone of this country if you ask me we are the the light and the promise for uh this country so we need to really make sure we take care of ourselves and that we are protecting you know our mind and our body and making sure that we're asking questions and people are being open and honest with us you know and I think Uh, you know, we have to protect ourselves in order to, you know, protect everyone around us. So I would just, uh, you know, sort of leave everyone with that, that, you know, you are a bright and shining star and ensuring that you keep your light shining.
0: Yes, thank you. And thank you for joining us today. We greatly appreciate all the information that you shared. I hope that, you know, our audience enjoys as much as we did.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here.
0: Of course. I hope you all enjoyed this uh, episode today I feel like pairing this with Nikki's episode which I think we're going to share her episode before this so that we have a story and then we share some research um it's a nice pairing to hear you know two different sides and for um the way Dr. Michelle broke things down that were easier to understand because I feel like I was kind of confused about HIV versus AIDS um I feel like I've shared with y'all before but I had an uncle who passed away from AIDS but when I was first told about it, it was HIV, so I've always been kind of confused and I've tried to research it and I've never understood what I was reading. So I'm thankful that she was able to break it down in a way that was easy to understand. And then I'll also break it down and, you know, how are people coming in contact with this? That was really cool the way that yeah. she was able to explain it because it helped me to understand other um, diseases also. So I'm overall thankful
1: yes me too like yeah no like to hear the research piece of it and that she's actively doing this work she's been doing it for years like it's always good to get those like hardcore statistics and to hear about it in this way so i'm glad that we got the research piece with the personal personal story piece um i'll share her article that's specific about black women hiv in the description just so you all can kind of read up on that um And yeah, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of Black Woman Healing Podcast, and we will be back next
0: week. So y'all, we have to shout out our friends over at Fiverr. We are officially a Fiverr affiliate, and I love Fiverr because you can literally go to them for any type of project you might want to work on, whether it be if you need a new logo, you need help with the resume, you need help with social media, they help you over there. So go ahead and check out our friends over at Fiverr, that's five e rr so five with two r's at the end so go ahead and check them out with the link in our bio and tell them that we sent you